0: I'm not trying to be the most bullish. I, I, I just, or trying to be the most moon boy. It's like it's literally just as ironic as it is. Is from my risk averse opinion. Like, if this thing is as low risk as it seems in comparison to everything else, the value should be orders of magnitude more than everything else combined. So, like, that, like that's the whole reason that the bullishness is the great irony. Is that Bitcoin, if we're correct, is lower risk and higher upside than everything else, because the probability. Of a fractional reserve system deteriorating to zero is inherently higher than a full reserve system. If you're violating the laws of physics, it's it's inevitable that something has to give. Bitcoin should, in my opinion, become only more volatile in the future because the rate of technological change is only getting faster, the rate at which fractional reserve systems trend to zero is only getting faster, and the rate at which the marginal cost of energy production is going to zero is only
1: becoming faster. Introducing the Blockware Marketplace. Start mining Bitcoin today. This has the potential to transform the mining industry as now anyone can buy a Bitcoin ASIC using on-chain or Lightning, see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing, and be earning Bitcoin mining rewards in minutes. This brings transparency and turnkey mining to a whole other level. Start mining Bitcoin today at marketplace.blockwaresolutions com hey everybody welcome back to the blockware intelligence podcast this week i have on luke Broyles once again luke welcome
0: thank you very much it's it's nice to be back and on, on one hand it's not been very long but on the other hand a lot's happened the last couple of months so yeah both, both with me personally but then much more importantly with the world as a whole so i thanks for having me back yeah this is gonna be i'm really looking forward to this
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when did we record the first episode? Was it was it last year or, or was it early 2023 still?
0: No, it, it was it was early this year. I think your podcast was the first podcast I did uh at all uh, re- regarding Bitcoin. And since then, you know, I've done the I've done Preston Pish's podcast. Um uh, I I've started my own podcast. I have, I have a couple episodes of that out now, hoping to do more in the next couple of weeks uh with uh let's see Foss and Jeff Booth and Jason from Thank God. And and anyway, so so yeah, I've been around a, a bit on the shows, but you're my you're my first one. So I figured you should be you, you asked me if I wanted to come back and I was like, why not? So and plus I had questions for you too, so I'm hoping to learn a little bit from you during this. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, I mean love to have you on. The first episode obviously did amazing. And I think let's just jump right into it because I'm sure the audience wants to hear yeah. what you have to say. Um I think starting off we can go with uh what's kind of happening in the banking system right now. We saw First Republic which I think someone said was like the 13th largest US bank. We saw their stock price get obliterated uh I think it was on Tuesday or, or maybe today Wednesday. Um can you like contrast or explain maybe like what's going on and maybe contrast the dollar system with the Bitcoin system?
0: Yeah, sure. I'm really glad you asked me. I, I tweeted that uh, you know, as it was happening, or just after closing hours, or whatever, yesterday, um, and you know it. You know, people liked it, but um, anyway, I, I hope I hope your editor puts up my tweet with the chart because the chart is just mind blowing. Um, it might be the fourteenth largest bank, thirteenth or fourteenth. It's it's up there somewhere. Uh, it, it's, it's it's a major bank. It's not one of the big four, but it, it's a major one. So yeah, obviously, since our last recording, we had last month in March, we had the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, the other two banks, or, or whatever. And then we had the FDIC issue in response to that. So that's so so the first big problem was Silicon Valley Bank and the banking crisis that was beginning to unfold. It, it, you know, it was like 2008 level, more or less, basically. If it, if, it, if it continued on, it would have been... It wasn't at first, but anyway, so it was a big problem, number one. Number two, we decided to basically... Throw up the table with the FDIC, and then number three, you know, we basically reversed half a year of quantitative tightening in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know that the Fed did, so that was a third big thing that happened within those couple of weeks. And now we have this fourth thing, it seems, of of first public bank that yesterday decided, you know, just I'm gonna I'm gonna head out. So so yeah, it it, it completely crashed. I, I don't know how far the stock's down, but it's like almost. Irrelevant to say it's like ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine point nine. You know, it, it's it's basically just uh, collapsed. And you know the the funny thing, Joe, is that on Twitter, even though I was very critical of when the Silicon Valley Bank was happening, what the Fed was doing, FDIC, and all this, it's like it it's been amazing to me how there's been so much. And granted, there's a lot of positive feedback of people that agree with me, but there's been a lot of negative uh, response to that, saying that, oh, your time preference is too short. Oh, that's just short-term or whatever. Because for those that perhaps haven't been aware, Bitcoin has more or less doubled in the same period of time. And I'll get into why that is. I think it's probably self-evident. But but point being that the people that are anti-Bitcoin and the people that think Bitcoin's a scam have really come out of the woodwork since the beginning of, those, of these banking troubles over the last 60 days or so, 60, 90 days, Actually, no, not even that, what, 45 days? Um, and, and they've really, you know, like, oh, it's two short time preference. Prepos- you're using the last five days to judge everything. You're using this banking crisis to judge everything, blah, blah, blah. And it's been really frustrating, Joe, frankly. Um, you know, I just live my life, whatever. I don't care, but, yeah, my convictions. But it's it's so illogical because, you know, they're saying you can't, you can't judge last week. You, you can't judge the whole health of the global financial system on the last week. And you can't judge one bank for them all, blah, 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 blah. And the funny thing is that they spend so little time following my account and they spend so little time listening to my podcast or hearing my perspective that it's like I'm one of the lo- lowest time preference people on Twitter. You know, it's like most half of my threads, I'm talking about, you know, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1000 years from now, which granted they're all speculations. But it's like it's so funny to me when people accuse me of being a short term uh, minded, you know, profit taker or whatever. Where It's like the, the whole Bitcoin thesis is about risk aversion. And so that, that that was one of my tweets yesterday about the First Republic Bank was about how what what ultimately at the root of it is going on here. The I did not predict Silicon Valley Bank. I did not predict First Republic Bank. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm not in those boards. You know, like I'm not claiming that. But what I am claiming, what I am saying, what I've been saying for a long time, both on Twitter and off Twitter in my personal life is that fractional reserve systems have to decline back to zero sooner or later. Now, that can happen via nominal terms, or that can happen via real terms. But one way or another, if there is a fractional reserve system, meaning something that's uh, creating value out of thin air, or in biblical terms, something that is reaping without sowing, or in physics terms, something that's breaking a lot of conservation of energy, or in cryptography terms, something that's violating double spend problem. It's like all these things are saying the same thing, it's when you create something out of nothing, a.k.a. fractional reserve, it, it's inevitable that it has to correct back to where it started with, like, like a full circle. And so it, it's really that simple, I would say, is that every fractional reserve system, sooner or later, has to return to its baseline reality. And if the fractional reserve has been so great that the, the baseline is zero, then it, it returns to zero. And so that's... Ultimately, that's what happened with FTX last year. You know, people like to criticize Bitcoin. It's like, because of the FTX thing. And it's like, it's the exact same thing. I was telling people, get out of FTT token, get out of FTX, because it's a fractional reserve system. Sam Bankman-Free's fractional reserve crypto exchange. And they just kept lending and lending and lending. And it collapsed. It collapsed to zero overnight. And it's the same thing that happened with Silicon Valley Bank. It's a, well, not I, I know not the same thing, but it's the same idea of a fractional reserve, and it's the same idea with with what's just happened with First Public Bank. Again, I hope your editors put up my tweet because my whole point in that tweet is saying that our human psychology, our human minds, are risk averse, and they should be because our brains, you know, we're, we're not supposed to touch hot stoves, we're not supposed to play with guns, you know, we're supposed to be risk averse, um, you know, biologically because against asymmetric downside and so we're very concerned about buying Bitcoin even if it's a hundred bucks or even if it's one percent of our assets Because what if it goes to zero? It's so small. It's so new. What if it dies? What if it crashes? You know the chart that is first public bank that chart is what people fear with Bitcoin They fear that it's gonna be thirty thousand and then boom It's just gonna gap down to zero or something. That's what they fear That's what everyone fears when it comes to Bitcoin because they see altcoins do that, they say FTX do that, you know, Ponzi schemes in the past do it. That's what they see, and so that's what they assume is the worst-case scenario. But the whole point, the whole thesis, the whole idea I've been putting out there is that fractional reserve systems trend to zero forever against full reserve systems. You know, maybe in the short term, fractional reserves go up in value, but long term, a full reserve system is inherently worth more. And so point being that... uh, The the irony is that humans think Bitcoin is that thing that could go to zero because it's small in comparison to banks and in comparison to central banks, in comparison to the bond market, in comparison to First Republic Bank or Silicon Valley Bank. And so we assume those things are safer because they're bigger, whereas the whole point is that it is lower risk to own, it is lower risk to have your energy placed in a smaller full reserve system than a large fractional reserve system. Because it's the exact thing that just happened with First Public Bank. And, and the horrible irony in that is that people in trying to avoid risk and avoiding Bitcoin and listening to their uh, financial advisors give advice on something that they haven't done the work on, uh, the, the unfortunate reality is that they lose more money like in real time. You know, like the S&P 500, and this was one of my comments in my tweet, was that, The S&P 500 went down 1.4%, 1.2%, you know, it went down over a percent yesterday, the S&P 500, which all in all isn't that bad. But the irony is that if you own the S&P 500, you were exposed to that spike down from First Republic Bank yesterday. That was one of the, that's one of the stocks and the S&P 500 and boom, it's gone. So yes, you're diversifying the S&P 500 and that's a good thing to be diversified if you're thinking from that mindset. But the Bitcoin mindset is this is a full reserve system, and right now you're diversified in a large series of fractional reserve systems, or systems that are, or companies and, and assets and securities that are exposed to fractional reserves, and you have to diversify into a full reserve system to protect your all your exposure in these full reserve systems. And so, sorry, I've been going on a lot, but but the great irony is that people will not even take a 5% allocation to Bitcoin or a 3% allocation or 1% allocation to Bitcoin because they're so terrified of losses of 1% when it's like your S&P 500 moves up and down a percent any given day. Bitcoin's up 4% the last five days. The S&P 500 is down like 2% last five days, which, yes, Twitter, I understand. You should not base your financial decisions on the last five days. But the point was that, in my mind, it's inexcusable to have anything under, a well, 5% is a good place to start. I guess I'll put it that way. But the more important thing is to get off zero. And 5% is so logical because most people have massive exposure to, to fractional reserve systems. And most people are so ignorant, for lack of a better word, perhaps uneducated or unread or I don't know, you know, uh, what, what's a more respectful word to say. But people don't know all the risk that is there. That that's that's the point I'm trying to make, and as counterintuitive as it sounds, Bitcoin is lower risk in those things because it can't gap down like that as long as it remains fully reserved, and it's remained fully reserved for 14 years. It's audited every 10 minutes, and there's zero individuals that could violate that. So it's some unknown unknown that could turn it into a fractional reserve. So anyway, it made my point, but the the larger point being that the last five days and the last 50 days have been nothing but validation that you have to have exposure to a full reserve system in case the fractional reserve spirals out of control so
1: yeah yeah i think that was i think that was well said i mean a lot of people you know think that their 401k or their s&p 500 index fund is fairly safe but you're right like it's composed of something things like first republic bank where it's like that can literally gap down you know very fast and and trend towards zero even faster than than Bitcoin can, and even during its bear markets. And so it's just, it's crazy to think that there's risk everywhere, right? Um, there's risk with just about anything you do. There's risk in life. But First Republic, other banks, other, you know, large institutions within the US, there's plenty of risk there. And, and Bitcoin is this one system where it's like, it's very difficult to change it. We know pretty confidently at 10 years, it's going to still be working. 20 years, it's going to still be working. 100 years, it's going to still be working. And as long as it's still working and the 21 million supply cap still exists, then it's going to be a better system than something like the dollar system, which we know there can be short periods of time where, you know, less dollars can exist, like M2 can go down, but that's not very sustainable. That's eventually going to reverse its trend and it's go back. It's going to go back to its normal exponential growth of dollars because that's how the entire system functions. You have to create more and more debt to create more and more dollars to sustain that, you know, 2% or 5% or 8% CPI inflation. So yeah, yeah. I think you're spot on there.
0: Yeah. And if I could add something to that is that, you know, it's like people think that I'm, you know, sometimes people have the false impression that I'm predicting, Oh, hyperinflation, in the United States of America. And it's like, that's not even the point. The point is that it's possible. And so. Yeah, I don't think hyperinflation is going to happen in the United States or perhaps even Europe with the euro, you know, perhaps not ever, or perhaps not for a long time. Perhaps, you know, we all go extinct and die first. But, um, but the fact it's possible is the whole point. And I've, I've looked very long and hard, you have too, but we can't yet find a way in which that occurs for Bitcoin. And so, even if Bitcoin does hyperinflate, die, and collapse or whatever, you know, let's say it's possible, people don't. Bitcoiners don't like it when I say that. Uh, But let's say it's theoretically possible. Let's say there's a 1% chance that occurs. Like, we know from history that these fiat currencies have an extremely high probability of hyperinflation. And we've already seen multiple, like, happening now. You know, you have um, uh, where? Nigeria, uh, Sri Lanka, Lebanon, Argentina, especially the last couple of weeks. And then, you know, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, all those examples. But, but yeah, yeah, point being that it's like, I, I think people. Think that Bitcoiners are absolutists, and perhaps we are, but even if you're not an absolutist, to me it's obvious because the, the, the probability of a fractional reserve system t- deteriorating to zero is inherently higher than a full reserve system. And it's, this isn't a political stance, this isn't an anti USA stance, it, this has nothing to do with this being America, this has nothing to do with the political aisle. It's just, as Foss would say, it's just math, or Sailor would say, it's just energy and you know if you're violating the laws of physics it's it's inevitable that something has to give so yeah
1: yeah uh, another thing going off first republic that i think is interesting is the downside volatility in first republic is well deserved right like there's actual risk that their liabilities exceed their assets right and that's what basically why a bank run occurs whereas you contrast that with bitcoin's volatility you know, Bitcoin goes up in these parabolic bull runs, and then it falls the 80% or the the 85% or the 70% that Bitcoin does. And it's not like Bitcoin is falling because its liabilities are greater than its assets. Like It doesn't have a balance sheet. It's still 21 million Bitcoin. The monetary properties are still the same. The core principles of why Bitcoin is better money than dollars, gold, you know, raised stones, salt, glass beads, whatever, those properties still exist. And the volatility is just due to its rapid adoption. And then it got overextended. And now it's like falling back down. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on on Bitcoin's hyperbolic adoption. Uh, What do you what do you think there?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's a great question. I think, yeah, bridging the gap there. Most people view bitcoin volatility as inherently risky because they're used to thinking of volatility in terms of stocks you know if a stock is super volatile like first republic bank it's because you have these major shifts in assets versus liabilities or they had a horrible earnings release for this that whatever but the difference with bitcoin or with any commodity for that matter is that there's no cash flows there's no ceo there's no yield there's no liability you know it's like all these things they're different and so Yes, to your point, Bitcoin's volatile, and then it goes down and up just like stocks. But the difference is that it doesn't; it can't have its debt obligations or its you know it can't lose a customer. Because, you know, it, it's different because it's not a security. And so that's true to the downside. Like that's the point I've been making thus far. But it's also true to the upside. To the point that to the question point you're making there, that we we inherently think it's the same to the downside. And so we also inherently assume that there's only a certain amount it can go up. We think like, oh, well stocks, you know, like say Apple or Amazon or whatever, like, well, they can go up hundred X or 10 X. So yeah, maybe Bitcoin could go up 10 X or hundred X too. Maybe it goes from 30,000 to 300,000 someday, or maybe someday in the far, far future, maybe $3 million. You know, if it's going to be the next big thing, like how Apple was the next big thing. And I believe that's flawed logic, because I believe, again, conversing the downside instead of the upside, I think it's the same thing. I think Bitcoin is uh, much more resilient against downside than stocks. You know, give me one stock that's crashed 80%, uh, what, four times now in the last 10 years and recovered every single time. Like, you can't. (laughs) I'm pretty confident of that. Maybe there's one minor penny stock that's an exception. And I'm sure someone will find it and then hate on me for that. But uh, but point, point being that because it's fully reserved, every time there's a downside, um, it, it doesn't gap down to zero. And because it's fully reserved, when it makes that new all-time high, when there's new adoption, it could go significantly higher than what other systems can. Because they can't sustain either the downside or the upside volatility. And Bitcoin can. So, um, yeah, your, your precise question, I think, about adoption cycles. Yeah, I, I think... I think Bitcoin will continue to be volatile, and people that buy Bitcoin should know it'll continue to be volatile, and this will probably offend people, but whatever, you know, I think Bitcoin will only become more volatile, and I think a lot of people don't think that. They think, oh, someday Bitcoin will mature, and then it will lose volatility, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Bitcoin should, in my opinion, become only more volatile in the future because the rate of technological change is only getting faster, the rate at which fractional reserve systems trend to zero is only getting faster, and the rate at which the marg- marginal cost of energy production is going to zero is only becoming faster. And so if we assume those things, um, and, and the total number of net humans in the world is becoming vol- volatile, more humans, I mean, you know, we have larger populations. So point being that as the world gets faster, like Bitcoin should only get more volatile. Maybe there are brief periods where it's not, but I think a hyperbolic curve is very... Um, probable so yeah I think someone buying Bitcoin today should fully expect it to go up 10x in price in a very short period of time and then expect it to crash 50 60 70 percent of the time again if you're measuring it in terms of uh, US dollars if you're measuring it in terms of one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin then it's never volatile but yeah anyway that, that's just some ramblings of mine um yeah
1: yeah no I like that a lot I know you've been talking to uh Peter Dunworth who, <laughs> beat you on the most bullish blockware intelligence podcast ever recorded. Um, And cause you originally held that title. Uh, have you been, have you been talking to to Peter? Like, what have you guys been talking about? What is your take on his, you know, extremely bullish, yeah. you know, future for Bitcoin? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So I guess, first of all, it's not a competition. I'm not, I'm not trying to be the most bullish. I, I, I just, or trying to be the most moon boy. It's like, it's literally just, as ironic as it is, is from my risk-averse opinion. Like, if this thing is as low risk as it seems in comparison to everything else, its value should be orders of magnitude more than everything else combined. So, like, like that's the whole reason that the bullishness is the great irony, is that Bitcoin, if we're correct, is lower risk and higher upside than everything else, which is what makes it so obvious and so mind-blowing. People don't take at least a 1% allocation or 5%. But anyway, um, it's not a competition, but Peter... (laughs) he he yeah, he has price um i don't know if he would call them targets price targets but he has he has very high numbers he just throws them around in the same way that people think I'm insane throwing 100 billion dollars per bitcoin around you know he's throwing around like 7 billion or or 100 billion and uh, you know it's um yeah i i i, I like uh, yeah peter's been a good new friend of mine we've spoken maybe 5 or 6 hours um, in total about his thesis, uh, well actually no more than that probably at this point, um, but yeah, I've recorded a podcast with him hopefully, and I, I hope to release that, it's basically diving more into depth of his methodology, but, but his own I- idea is, um, similar to, um, uh, it's similar to others, but it's expanded on to include derivatives markets and everything else of that sort, so, um, uh, I, I, I don't have as much experience, obviously, in accounting as he does. He has a background in that, so I would defer to people with that background. However, with that said, as I've read some much of his work and I've listened to his thoughts, I mean, I don't know if it's right. I don't know if he's correct or fully correct, but if there's even a 1% chance that he's correct, it is um, astronomical, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's simply absurd. Even if he has a one or five, 10% chance of being correct, it's, it's more than we can possibly fathom. (laughs) And, and, and I think there's uh, much higher probabilities correct. You know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 90%, but ultimately at the end of the day, that's all you need to know because Peter doesn't know the future. I don't know the future. Jerome Powell doesn't know the future. And ultimately As someone that's trying to preserve our purchasing power in the future, our priority should be what are the possible paths forward, what what are the possibilities, and what's the probability of each of those paths occurring, and then how do I adjust based on that thesis, based on that information? And I think Peter's idea of Bitcoin being used as that, like, global accounting settlement network, and just all those ideas, which are very far away, but it it's it's truly mind-blowing of how high bitcoin's price in terms of dollars can go and how much more importantly for people listening how how insignificant all other accounting systems in the history of man could become in comparison to bitcoin it's it's literally like comparing modern banking to sumerian tablets it's like you know they'll still exist but they'll be in a museum <laughs> so yeah
1: yeah peter has some awesome takes that are like really mind bending and it makes you really think about what's going to happen with the yeah. future of bitcoin we've got I'm, I'm excited to listen to the podcast you recorded with them that will be great yeah. we've got him coming back on the Blockware intelligence podcast we've got his brother coming on the Blockware intelligence podcast too so those will be fantastic yeah. episodes but like thinking back oh go ahead
0: well i was gonna say and i hope i hope peter does make the rounds because i hope people come out and debate him that, that's one of the reasons why he wanted to talk to me he was like luke i have to talk to you take a look at this and this and and he sent me a bunch of stuff. It was like, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where the thesis is wrong. And as a side note, I think it's what a lot of people outside Bitcoin don't realize. Like that's why we talk so much is because we're always trying to figure out where we're wrong. And that's why he wanted to talk to me. And I'm glad, but anyway, I hope he keeps going these shows and that people actually debate him that have the education, the background and the intelligence to, uh, yeah, you know, just try to better the thesis and find flaws because because I I can't thus far, and that's the exciting and terrifying thing. So,
1: yeah, and, and I mean, it's his price targets are are kind of crazy, but uh, I, I I like generally agree with his thesis and your thesis and that thinking back to you know something like 1970 to purchase or to be able to store a terabytes worth of data may have costed a billion dollars back in yeah. 1970. It may not even have been possible, right? Now it's like, yeah, exactly. You have one right there. It probably costs maybe a hundred bucks or so. And yeah. so like, that's the rate of deflation that is has been occurring in certain industries over the last 50 years, but it could be starting to occur in all industries over the next 50 years as technology acceler- accelerates faster and faster. And we have this new, unit of account where we it's the only thing in the world where we can commit infinite amount of time infinite amount of energy infinite amount of resources and we can't make more of it and it—and when you put it that way and you zoom out on a long enough time horizon it just seems kind of hard to, to argue against
0: yeah yeah and, and, that, and that's ultimately like i said really, that's where my bullish price predictions come from it's like because it's like i'm not a trader i have no idea like you know it's just i'm just taking one step at a time like you said it's like okay i have the assumption we can't find a way to destroy this thing. If Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un and, you know, presidents of the United States can't figure out how to kill it, like, I can't figure out how to kill it. So it's like, I take that assumption, it's probably gonna survive, okay? Then I take the the assumptions of what makes good money, and then I take the assumption that humanity will continue and not self-destruct and have a prosperous future and combine it together. It's like, well, the best money absorbs all that productivity and if this continues to survive, it's the best money. Well, then it should absorb all the. Per- I mean, it's, it's it's really that simple. And and that's that's what has been exciting. When I went to Boston and gave this whole thesis, I was like that's what's exciting for people to kind of have that click and understand the that Bitcoin is not a pessimistic. Oh, the U.S. dollar is going to die, and you know we're going to go back to you know blah 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 and like ap- apocalyptic you know dystopian world. It's like it, it's an, it's inherently the bitcoins inherently are not pessimistic on the world. They're just pessimistic on scams. I mean, <laughs> so anyway, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and I think like some people would say, like you say, you know, the world is going to get so much more productive and some people would argue, oh, well, it's obviously those companies are going to capture that that wealth creation. But then you you got to look back and argue, yes, that maybe that's happened in the past because people have had no other way to store wealth. So okay. they kind of just... Stored wealth and equities. But in reality, it's like all of these companies are directly competing with each other and the profits that they're making. You know, you can't just make profits forever. Like, it's not that easy. Markets are relatively efficient. If someone's making profits, you have 8 billion other people trying to attack and take those profits from you. And it's like, okay, if everyone's competing and everyone's getting insanely productive, where is all of that actual productivity, all that value going to get captured? Well, it's like in the best money, and the best money is yeah. Bitcoin. Um, so you, ha- you put out a really good thread recently about how to become a millionaire. And it was really interesting because it only required $300 today. Uh, can you explain how this is even possible and what you mean by that? Stamp Seeds DIY Toolkit gives you the ability to hammer the seed words generated from your Bitcoin hardware wallet into commercial grade titanium plates using professionally designed metal stamping tools. Their plates are fire-resistant, crush-proof, non-corrosive, and will not decay over time, allowing you to hold your Bitcoin securely for the long run. Go to stampseed.com and use the code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off. This offer is valid through May 2023, so get your Stamp Seed today. Foundation is one of my favorite Bitcoin companies. Their product, Passport, is one of the best Bitcoin hardware wallets on the market. It is air-gapped and highly secure. I strongly encourage you to go to FoundationDevices.com and use the code BLOCKWARE and get $10 off your passport. It's a great way to easily and securely store the private keys to your Bitcoin. If you've thrown your hands up trying to run a Lightning node, relax, you're not an idiot. It's not intuitive and manual management means you won't survive. The guys at encrypted energy are fans of the pod and have 20 openings in their private beta for readers to trial automated L operations like rebalancing and channel fee management. Email Paul at encryptedenergy.com and mention blockware intelligence for personalized onboarding.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that I'm kind of loving about Twitter. Cause it's like, you know, as my account grows, I get more and more haters and more people that love it. And the bifurcation I feel is becoming larger and larger. And that, you know, like a month or two ago, it's like, you know, everyone was like, oh, this is into it. But now that I'm, you know, being more consistent, you know, people are, you know, I'm getting more and more people that are really into it. And more people that are like, this is complete. St-. And point being that people completely missed the point that my thread was how you could become a millionaire for, you know, $275 or, you know, let's just say 300 bucks for the sake of the interview. But for 300 bucks, you become a millionaire. And my my point was that you could buy a million sats for 300 bucks. So, yeah, you're not a millionaire in terms of dollars, obviously. Some people didn't get that. But the whole point being, you're a millionaire in terms of sats if that's your definition of money. (laughs) So, anyway, that that was the point of the thread, long story short, was that you could buy a million satoshis. And for those that don't know, hopefully most people watching us know... But in the same way that you have 100 cents in a dollar, you have 100 million satoshis in a Bitcoin. So in the same way that when you're buying a house for $300,000, in our language, we don't say, I'm buying that house for 30 million cents. We just say, I bought it for 300 grand because it's easier. In the same way, when you say, I bought a Bitcoin or I bought 10 Bitcoin, what you're really saying is that I bought... A hundred million satoshis, or I bought a billion satoshis, or half a half a billion satoshis, or half a million satoshis. You know, point being that um, most people are still have that unit bias of thinking in terms of Bitcoin. But if you just think logically here, if we're right about Bitcoin, the vast majority of humans will never talk in terms of Bitcoin. In the same way that the vast majority of humans don't talk in terms of cents, or they don't talk in terms of trillion dollar coins or theoretical trillion dollar coins. It's the same idea that the 100 million satoshis or 1 bitcoin is such a astronomically large part of the bitcoin network that most people and i would argue most companies uh, even decently large companies uh, will probably not have access to that kind of share of the network so the, the really my whole encouragement with the thread was to like differentiate like please people think in terms of sats not bitcoin because that's one thing people get hung up on. They think they have to spend thirty thousand dollars to buy a whole Bitcoin. It's like no, you know, you're you're spending thirty thousand dollars for one 21 millionth of the entire network. Um, you know, it's it's. I didn't I didn't say this in the thread, but it's like, what if there were only twenty-one million cars in the world? What if there were only twenty-one million websites in the world? What if there were only twenty-one million houses in the world? And you could divide a car into hundred million parts. Or you could divide a house into hundred million parts. Um, it, it's the same idea. You know, you take 21 million of anything useful in the world and you divide that out. And the probability of picking a random person that happens to own one whole thing of those is, is so small, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, 21 million, 8 billion people, you know, it, the odds are like one in thousand or one in, uh, one in what, 400 or, you know, so, something like that point, point being that that, that was, that was the message of the thread that you could buy a million satoshis for roughly three hundred bucks today, and if you do the math, Joe, and most people haven't done the math, uh, a million satoshis is rarer than having a million dollars. Like in in the future, it will be more difficult to have a million satoshis than a million dollars. Or put in other words, it is better to have a net worth of a hundred million. <laughs> It is better to have a net worth three hundred bucks in Bitcoin than a million
1: dollars
0: if your time horizon is long enough, as absurd as that sounds. Um, but I mean, if Bitcoin is true, that's the case that eventually million stats will be um, more more scarce on a person to first basis than a million dollars and and so ultimately, you know every millionaire should buy three hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. But most won't, Joe, and when they start, that's when price influx upwards and it only becomes exponentially more difficult to acquire a million Satoshis. And so as clickbaity as that thread was, I believe I believe it's true. If if we assume that Bitcoin's most probable path forward is survival and then therefore success, then yeah, theoretically you could buy a million dollars worth in future dollars worth uh, bitcoin today for a couple hundred bucks so
1: yeah yeah i mean everyone needs to be stacking sets like that's where the the bitcoin term comes from you know people aren't buying normal people aren't buying full bitcoins every day they're buying satoshis every day and there's nothing wrong with that i think like one of the worst counter arguments to bitcoin is is the people that say oh my gosh obviously bitcoin's not scarce because you can divide it into 100 million pieces and it's like how is that how are you even like making that argument it's like we have one pizza but we can divide it into a, a yeah. ton of slices that doesn't mean everyone's going to eat be able to eat all the pizza it's it's the exact same concept it's one of the worst arguments against bitcoin i've ever heard
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there's and that, that's why i encourage people to ask their financial advisors like basic questions what is a difficulty adjustment what is proof of work versus proof of stake what's the difference between a miner and a node because and again this isn't to dis or, or disrespect any individual in any educated position with you know a PhD and lots more money than I have but it is to say that most people are approaching us with flawed logic and that's one of those arguments Joe that just is like nails on a chalkboard because it's so illogical it makes absolutely no sense it's like well stocks aren't scarce because they can just have stock splits it's like land isn't scarce because we could just divide up parcels infinitely you know it's like Land's not scarce because you could sell 100 acres or you can sell a millimeter worth of land, so it's not scarce. It's it's just, it's nonsensical. It's like, it's it's water, you know, places in the world have water shortages. And it's like, well, if there's one bottle of water for, you know, 10,000 people in this village, well, the water's not scarce because you can infinitely divide it out to the single molecules. It's the same point. It's completely nonsensical just because you can divide a finite system into an infinite number of smaller units doesn't mean that it's not fine. Anyway, we, we've made our point, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of the things that if your financial advisor says that with all due respect, they are not thinking this through very reasonably. Cause if that's their main argument against Bitcoin, that it's not scarce because you can divide it. Well, then you should sell all your stocks, all your gold, all your cash and all your uh, real estate too, and just own oxygen or whatever. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, and I think ironically, like they're they're basically making the argument that they're just extremely bullish on bitcoin they're like actually no you i could buy one satoshi and like you know buy it for a ton of money You're like okay well then that just means one bitcoin is extremely valuable at that point
0: yes so yes they're, well well they're... did you see peter what's his name peter zion P- peter zion or yeah. right whatever yeah yeah his, his clip on joe rogan um for those that haven't watched it, it's hilarious but peter's whole case against bitcoin is that, well Bitcoin's designed to Bitcoin is designed to appreciate forever, so it, it's worthless. It should be trading negative. It it, it went viral, just because it's like yeah. he legitimately believed that he he was bashing. He's continued to bash it since then, and that's his whole point: that money's not supposed to go up in value forever. And Bitcoin, because of its scarce supply, is designed to increase in purchasing power forever. So therefore, it's worthless money, and it should be trading negative. It, I don't know. That that's it's just stuff I don't understand. And frankly, Joe, you know, for me, that's one of the things that bothers me and makes me wonder if I'm wrong. Because it's like, there are really smart people out there that in other areas are incredibly intelligent. But then they say something like that. Or like, take Elon Musk when he was all about Doge and all about how we got a 10x this, that, and the other. It's like, it's just people say things that make absolutely no sense. And um, anyway, that that's hard for me to, to square. Because it's like, you know, if I think someone genuinely believes something, and, and they're smart, yet they say something so dumb. I mean, I've said a lot of dumb stuff before. I've done a lot of dumb stuff before. I I get that. But anyway, all that to say is that it's it is amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Peter Zion argument is is kind of funny. I mean, I understand. I guess his his real argument would be that he thinks inflationary mo- money is required for like facilitating economic growth. But it's it's still like a, a weird argument because he's basically saying, actually, well, Bitcoin's going to keep going up. So he, if for Bitcoin to go up, you know, that means economic growth is is positive, right? Like people are buying more. You can buy more things with your Bitcoin. And then he's like, well, economic growth is going to slow once Bitcoin goes up enough. Well, then it's like, okay, well then the price of Bitcoin will go down relative to everything else, and that kind of solves your problem. So it's like, but, it, but it's a free it, market, he, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Price and demand. You know, you changes, you change the, I mean, the price is correct. It's like anyway yeah we've made our point and i'm not picking on him alone i would make that clear i have nothing against any of these people alone it's just the general frankly arrogance of modern society that we think we know what money is when it's like wait what if we don't it's like it's like our it's like societal hubris a mere 150 200 years ago when bloodletting was common you know but people thought that I, i think it was george washington right didn't he die because doctors or was yeah, it one possible?
1: of them, some, something like that. Abraham, yeah, American, yeah he was like Jefferson. That. I don't
0: remember, but you know, one of the founding fathers was, was killed because they were, you know, blood. I mean, because I thought, and it was like a collective hallucination that society thought that draining blood of sick patients would cure them. And in the same way, I think it's a collective thing today that we assume we know what money is, and what if we actually all don't? And our grandchildren will look back at us like, wow, those people were dumb, but we're modern now in the 22nd century, you know, there's there's. There's no chance something will come along that disrupts our worldview. And that's, that's a cycle we keep falling into. We look at past civilizations. We think they look really dumb because they did things in ways that we can't understand. And so we assume we're smarter and that everything we have works. And that's what's happening today with money. And in the future, probably there'll be something else that we can't even predict. So anyway, human nature is a fascinating thing.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, do you think there's such a thing as an escape velocity for, for Bitcoin?
0: In terms of nominal price or in terms of adoption?
1: Either way, what do you think?
0: I mean, yeah, in terms of nominal price, in any moment, there could be escape velocity. You know, especially, well, the probability of escape velocity in Bitcoin's nominal price is a direct result of the stability of the currency of the nation state which you reside. You know, like Argentina, for example... Bitcoin is at all time highs in terms of the peso. That's another thing People hate me on online. It's like, well, that's just because the peso is going down in value. And it's like, it's like, you know, <laughs> that's the whole point. But yeah, yeah. Point being that in certain areas of the world, you know, Argentina, uh, uh, Lebanon, Turkey, I think, Pakistan, I think, I can't remember exactly the full list. But you know, there's multiple countries around the world where Bitcoin is going up and up and up even though in the US and Europe and China and most of the world it's still you know 50 percent 60 percent down uh, in terms of its currency so yeah in terms of its nominal currency there's no limit to how high it could go or how quick it could go because if that fractional reserve currency you're denominating within does a first public bank and just boom goes down in the course of 24 or 48 hours or whatever <laughs> then then yeah Bitcoin would be the opposite it would just you know be trading and then just skyrocket upwards it's it's just the inverse of that so yes in terms of price obviously it can happen any moment um but in terms of adoption I, I think that's inherently slower because adoption is is printing money is just as easy as adding a few zeros adoption requires a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of education so yeah adoption perhaps will have escape velocity but i think that's a long ways away i think that's probably at least five ten years away but there's no guarantee it might be longer it might be less I, I doubt it's longer though
1: yeah i agree with that that's that was a good take i mean adoption will take time right like we do arguably have somewhat decent savings technologies today like smb 500 has historically been a pretty good savings technology now we have bitcoin which is better and, and i think you know if you chart the s p 500 denominated in bitcoin the trend is pretty obvious it's going down forever and i think that will likely continue but it's just going to be a matter of time for for, for you know a decade goes by and people are like wow again i should have bought more bitcoin back then like that was obviously the better play i shouldn't have just speculated and bought a diversified portfolio of every single asset on planet earth i should have just concentrated my wealth in this better form of money so yeah i I totally agree
0: yeah and and to add on to that i I was at a bitcoin meetup last night uh you know half a dozen of us or so and and one, one of these couples i was trying to explain um the the idea of what if diversification becomes obsolete because of bitcoin because up to this point you diversify you know like the metaphor i gave on your show before of the sinking ships you know up to this point because the money does nothing but go down you have to diversify in a mixed basket of assets to survive the money going down. But if the money s- stays constant and surviving and therefore goes up in value, well, then the assets continue to go down, but they go down in relative terms against the Bitcoin. Uh, the, the productivity gains of the society are accurate reflected in Bitcoin, therefore the, the assets go down. And, and um, re- regarding adoption there, like what you're saying, I, I think... <laughs> And and this sounds crazy too, but I think most people will be amazed at how high its price in terms of political currency units, dollars, can go with very small adoption uh, rates. You know, mo- most most people f- think a million dollars or five million dollars is a high end long term future target, because again, like I said earlier, they're thinking in terms of equities and securities. But my question and frankly my concern is what happens when bitcoin hits one million five million dollars per coin and there's still very tiny adoption um there's still a very tiny number of adopters you know what's going to happen is the rest of everyone that hasn't adopted yet is going to say oh well bitcoin can't go any higher it's you know i remember back when luke Broyles was buying it at thirty thousand dollars he was on the blockware solutions podcast and you know he was telling me to buy at thirty thousand dollars and man, you know, 2024, 2025, it went up just, you know, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000, 120,000. You know, I guess I'm too late. Should have bought it 30 grand. And then, you know, a few years later, it's going to be the million bucks. You and I will still be pounding the table, hopefully, probably, if we're still around, uh, Lord willing. And, and I'm much less concerned for people about 30 grand to 1 million, and much more concerned about what happens after 10 million, because in terms of if there's ever going to be a point at which the rest of society just capitulates and it's mass adoption and hyperbolic adoption it's going to be already when bitcoin is in the millions tens of millions even hundreds of millions so hyperbolic adoption is nowhere close to today (laughs) most probably so yeah
1: agree um let's talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and bitcoin right like You know, during the crypto bear market, it seems like everyone that was into crypto has pivoted to artificial intelligence, which is quite quite hilarious. The Bitcoin community obviously kept trucking along and stacking sats as they know it's the hardest money known to man. Um, But yeah, like, let's talk about, yeah, and Bitcoin. How do in your mind, do those two, I guess, broad movements in the world and broad technologies in the world, how is that changing humanity and how will it change humanity?
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a funny point you made, that the new hype thing is AI. Um, you know, I think a lot of people um, view Bitcoin as a hype thing or or as something. And there is a lot of hype, don't get me wrong. And that's mainly what drives the cycles is hype, a lack of hype or presence of hype. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that the Bitcoiners are still here, like myself, it's saying, no, 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 AI is a component of the thesis for Bitcoin, you know, if you're a Bitcoin, you understand. You don't buy AI stocks. You buy Bitcoin because of the AI. Um, but a- anyway, point being, how how do I think? Uh, what'd you ask? How, how do I think it plays a part, or what do I think? Yeah,
1: like out? I guess uh, kind of going back to just our general thesis of like yeah. super high technology growth and and Bitcoin being this absolutely scarce asset. I think I saw a tweet the other day. That is it it was pretty interesting how Bitcoin came out at a time when AI is coming out and AI basically enables you to create endless content, fake endless anything and create endless, you know, whatever knowledge, Mm -hmm. which could be applied to the real world. Um, And then we have something like Bitcoin where you can't fake it. It's the one thing we know for certain that you can't fake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, I think some people think it's a coincidence. I don't know if I, particularly think it's a coincidence i think as technology gets better both the best tools for freedom and the best tools for censorship are ahead and so bitcoin is like the best tool for freedom and ai is the best tool that could be used for censorship um, if it's misused by centralized authority and so like i think in the same way you know it's like like my metaphor if we were in the 1930s you know we could spend our days being worried about chemical uh, weapons like that were used in world war One, and we can um, hope and cross our fingers for medicines of the future. was like, you know, if you're in the 1930s, you can't imagine the medicines that are yet to come, and you can't imagine the weapons that are yet to come. And so I, I think that's largely why we're seeing AI and Bitcoin at the same time. I don't think they're necessarily connected in, in terms of their origin. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's just inevitable that as our technology's gotten better, and now we have better and better computers, well, of course, we're already using a computer to a better way to have money and project energy and, and brute force physical cost, Bitcoin, and we're also going to have a better way to create synthetic computers and synthetic minds. And so where does that go from here? I mean, AI has been really amazing the last year or so, how much it's developed. Most people are completely unaware of how far AI has come the last couple of years and how far humanoid robots, I think, are coming. Not that they didn't exist before, but they're becoming more and more affordable. Um, and I, I think ultimately that this is a fun thought experiment that, I often share with people, I don't know how much I've said it online, but it's like, you know, if right now there are 8 billion humans and all these 8 billion humans are working to create productivity, you know, what's the population going to be in the future? Well, the UN says it's going to be 11 billion, 10 to 11 billion, depending on who you ask, by late this century. Uh, many of those children are going to be born in Asia and Africa, but you have, okay, another 3 billion people. So already that's like another third additional number of potential workers on the planet just from humans. Um, Okay, that's that's a major component, number one. Number two, only 60% of the world is using the internet right now. That's something people don't realize is that internet's only 60% adoption. So it's like, okay, we are literally going to double the number of internet users in the next, you know, couple decades, at least double. And I think that a major reason why birth rates are falling is because of fiat. You know, as I explained in Preston's podcast and many other shows, and hopefully it's, people are understanding by now, but it's when you have fiat that's forcing families to have two um, income households, when people are having to work longer, 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 longer hours, you know, time is linear, the rate of debasement is exponential, you have to have an exponentially number of increasing working hours, you know, people have less children because schooling is more expensive, food is more expensive, housing more expensive, transportation is more expensive, having daycare is more expensive. And, you know, fiat's making all these things more expensive and it's drastically inflating the the, the cost of raising a child. And so my one of my big hopes and assumptions, frankly, is that as the influence of fiat on the world diminishes, that the birth rate will stabilize, perhaps increase or or reach hopefully a healthy level uh, that's more that's more reflective on the ability of humans to produce and consume energy and less reflective on the rate of monetary debasement. But point being, that I think 11 billion by the end of the century, you know, it's probably right. But unlike some people, people that actually think that the population of the human race is going down under a billion again, population collapse. You know, unlike them, I actually think that probably, you know, population to go up, flatline, perhaps stabilize or whatever, and hopefully beyond there increases. So, you know, let's just, and this is a future thought of mine i do basically some math how many people how many humans could the world hold but let's just say for the sake of the show that you know 20 30 billion people a long time from now well outside our lifetimes uh, but you know eventually what if we have say 20 billion humans so you know let's say 22nd century sometime maybe 23rd century 20 30 billion humans okay so that's a huge amount of productivity gain that you know now we're talking like 5 6x the number of human workers number one, and number two, because many of them don't use the internet and many don't use computers, they'll become more efficient as well. But that's, and I'm reaching, coming back down to AI, all of that, which that alone is mind-blowing enough to me personally, that is dwarfed by humanoid robots and AI. Because, you know, let's say that we can have 50% more humanoid robots every year. So let's say there's a thousand humanoid robots right now that exist. And let's say that increases 50% every year. Well, I think it's like early 2040s. There's only a couple million of them. But even if there are only a couple million of them that are functioning and working 20 years from now, then there's still more humanoid robots by like the late 2060s or the early 2070s than human beings, even if we assume human population continues to grow. And that's mind-blowing to me, that what if we're in the narrow window of human history where humanoid robots and artificial intelligence exists and it hasn't and its total thinking power has not yet eclipsed human the collective human thinking power like to me you know i I talk all the time on twitter about technology windows and i often compare it with bitcoin that we're in the rare time where bitcoin exists and it's not yet consumed all monetary premium and it's like the same thing's true with ai the same thing's true with these robots what if we're in the period where all these things are growing, and they're growing rapidly, and they haven't yet taken over everything. So, yeah, all I to say with productivity is, what if in 100 years, there are not 8 billion humans, but there's more like 11 to 15 or 20 billion humans, and there's 20 to 30 billion autonomous robots that are doing manual labor and jobs that we don't like, and in addition to that, you have 50 billion or 100 billion um, synthetic intelligences or unconscious intelligence or artificial intelligence, whatever you want to call them. I mean, you know, it's it's the whole idea we've less in common with the future than the past. It's taken us, you know, thousands of years to reach eight billion units of human brains. Well, what if there's hundreds of billions just a hundred years from now? And you know, we don't have to we don't have to wait a hundred years to experience society-shifting change. And that's one thing that is really important to emphasize. You know, if you're looking from the year eighteen from the mid 1800s to the mid 1900s, it's like That's not one massive transition. That's like half a dozen massive transitions in every industry over that time. And the same thing is true today, that ultimately I have no idea what artificial intelligence would do. You know, don't ask, you know, nobody should expect me or any of us to know what it's going to do. But I I think we should assume that if the technology continues to advance and society continues to move forward, that it's going to have more change on society than the internet, than the nuclear bomb. You know, it, it should be, a really, really big deal. And when that happens is anyone's question, but eventually probably, so.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree that, you know, technology is advancing rap- rapidly faster than ever, and that's gonna be a trend that likely will will certainly continue. And I also agree about your, what you were talking about earlier about how Fiat has probably been a contributing factor that has prevented more and more people from having kids, right, or from the population growing in a rapid rate. Cause it's like, I mean, I think we're, I think we're the same age now, actually. Um, cause <laughs> I think it's your birthday today. If you Yes, if, it is. <laughs> yeah. So happy birthday. Um, Thank but yeah, I, I think that it's like our age 24 is, is people can't afford houses or anything, right? Like even if you have a, a good job and you make good money, you still can't really afford a house unless you were like inherited something. And then if you start tacking on things like student loans and, and other debt obligations that you've had in the past, or, you know, you, you've had to pay your way through college or at least pay your part of your way through college. Like the, you're never really going to be able to buy a house in like a decent city. Like, yeah, you could live in a shack in the middle of nowhere, but then where are you actually going to work? And at that point your job's going to be, you know, not enough to pay for the shack. So it's like, I feel like our generation is like, really needs Bitcoin and some and or I want to say something like Bitcoin, but it is Bitcoin, right? Like people need Bitcoin because otherwise people aren't going to make it like you can live in a one bedroom forever. But, you know, if you can't afford a house and you yeah. and you can't afford how are you going to afford kids if you can't afford a house? Like that's just well, basic yeah. necessities.
0: Yeah, basic necessities. And that that's one thing that people have um, come back at me with, you know, as the counter argument that, oh, human population can't continue to grow. Because there's not enough energy, there's not enough, you know, like, the reason everything's getting more expensive is because we're running out of room. And, um, you know, the the, the counter-argument to the counter-argument, or my argument to the counter-argument, is that while there's a possibility that's true, I think the much higher probability is that those people are looking at things through a lens of valuing the U.S. dollar as an absolute value, instead of looking through the lens of population. You know, like if we go back to Roman times, you know, there were, uh, what, 250 million people, something like that. You know, you a know, quarter of a billion, maybe a tenth of a billion. You know, 100 million people or so around that time. And yeah, if you had a global society in zero AD that was based on Roman technology, the world would have run out of resources far before we reached today's population, because we were so much less efficient. At using energy, we we're much less efficient at growing food, at, at um, having society function without destroying our natural habitat, and this is why ultimately I don't want to get political because it's been politicized. But you know, regarding climate change and everything like that, you know, people think climate change is something new, and frankly, it's nothing new. Cl- the the environment and sustainability and climate is a real issue that needs to be discussed. But this idea that it's a new phenomenon in the last couple of decades is frankly, extremely ignorant, because every civilization has had this problem that if we keep growing our population, then we will run out of stuff. And the solution every time has been find and innovate a way to increase efficiency and have the net drain on natural resources per human be lower. And so anyway, I I think the most probable case for the future is that that continues and that in the future... We'll find ways to harvest energy and spend energy and, you know, we'll have hopefully more people because of it. But at the same time, we can't have population grow too fast and we especially don't want it to grow too slow. But, you know, I think kind of like a free market, it'll the global population should grow as a function of how available do we make energy. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. I want to, I, I, before I did this, we did this podcast, I, I tweet, made a tweet that, that, Ask people, you know, I'm having Luke Broyles on again. What, you know, what questions do you have for him? And and a few responses, and this is fair to to say, a few responses said, "Well, Luke, what are the risks to Bitcoin? Like, what's your bearish scenario?" Which I think is totally fair. So I, I do want to hear your thoughts on this. Like, what what what's the bearish case for Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, no, that, that that's a great question. Um, I've, I've been asked that on a couple other shows, and I every time I say that's like. Such a good question because it's like that's the question. You know, I was in Boston for a week, and most of that week uh, was was work related. You know, I I did some fun things with people. We went to Fenway Park and all that. But um, but pretty much the whole time, it was just peers and I. We were just discussing discussing what are the possible ways in which Bitcoin could die, or adoption is slowed, or it's, it's stopped, or you know what what how are we wrong? Because ultimately, my incentive is that if Bitcoin's true, it could save millions of lives, and so. I want to do everything I can to defend that and protect that. And so, anyway, that it's a really good question. And for me, I, I can't find something that is an extremely convincing uh, counter argument. Um, I think there are real threats. I think one of them is an EMP or or CME, you know, something that takes out the global grid. Yes, you don't need the internet per se to exchange in, in Bitcoin, but you know, let's be honest, adoption is slow enough right now. Like, if the internet went out, the immediate needs of food, energy, survival would be much greater than Bitcoin. However, uh, the, the reality is that eventually the grid would come back, again, if we're assuming that humanity doesn't turn into Mad Max, and um, <laughs> and then in that case, then Bitcoin survives. So it's like, you know, in that case, it's not even really something that stopped or killed Bitcoin. It's just a major event that became a much larger concern, because right now, our, our number one societal concern should be fixing the money obviously if there's something that stops all food production that supplants that but then as soon as that's fixed then bitcoin just comes back and its adoption i think would not be slowed at all so i mean that is possible i mean ultimately i think war is probably the most pessimistic outcome even more than than a cme or or um yeah, yeah, even more than the grid going out, I think war is pessimistic um, because with the grid, everyone will be working together to fix it. But with war, you know, it's it's the incentives are very really different. But, I mean, yeah, that seems to me to be the largest practical concern uh, or most probable significant concern. However, there's also always a chance that there's a bug in Bitcoin's code or there's some flaw in it. However, as I said before, Vladimir Putin's not figured it out the CIA's not figured it out, Joe Biden's not figured it out, Trump's not figured it out, Clinton's not figured it out, Um, you know, uh, Taliban's not figured it out, the Chinese Communist Party, you know, it's like, you know, basically in order to believe that there is a bug in there and everyone's just waiting to exploit it when it gets valuable, it's like you're basically assuming that every institution, government, individual, and billionaire, you know, you're basically assuming everyone on earth is somehow in collusion that we all know there's a way at which it can't be destroyed and none of us are going to exploit that so I mean yeah there's a possible unknown unknown um, but I, I don't know I can't figure it out I, I'd like to ask you the same thing what what do you think is the biggest draw down, downside against Bitcoin because I'm war obviously said that that I just said but I, I think ultimately it's just fear uncertainty and doubt is the biggest. It's it's just misinformation and mistruths and lies about this. I think are the best weapon against truth, because I think if you say anything true against the greater truth, that you're just revealed that you're a fraud. I guess. So so anyway, I think we're actually in it right now. I think all these misinformation campaigns against Bitcoin are probably the single largest inhibitor against against adoption. Because okay, let's say they try to censor it. Well every time they censor it in other places, adoption goes up. So it's like, you know, I don't know. That's just, that's just my off the cuff thoughts about that. But I don't know. What what do you
1: think? Yeah. I mean, I think imperfect humans are probably the biggest threat to Bitcoin, right? Like everyone is going to make mistakes and everyone is going to be fallible. And that can lead to things like war where there's just massive destruction. And then, you know, at that point, you don't really necessarily need money, you need food and bullets and whatnot. And so that's obviously a major concern. Um, Other than that, I would say some sort of like bug in cryptography itself, like the math is just somehow broken. And I, I, I don't think that that even makes sense. I'm not a cryptographer by any means. But I could see that being a scenario because there can certainly be bugs in Bitcoin and there have been bugs in Bitcoin, but they get patched and that doesn't kill Bitcoin. So it would have to be like a very specific bug in Bitcoin. It'd have to be like, okay, anyone in the world can immediately find a a private key from a public key, which is basically like breaking elliptic curve cryptography itself which is my understanding basically breaking mathematics itself as we know it today. And so it's like if that's somehow possible then yes, then that's a huge threat to bitcoin. But at the end of the day bitcoin is just a ledger system. It's a perfectly scarce ledger system. That system can be, you know, ported over to other software technologies. The way we interact with that ledger is just We call it Bitcoin today. It's it's you know Bitcoin Core is the network we use specific like software to interact with this ledger. But that let that software can change over time. It it I don't think it will change anytime soon because I think Bitcoin's already works pretty well. But theoretically, you know at the end of the day, money is just a ledger. It's just kind of a tool that people are using. And so that tool that we use to interact with the ledger could change. But I think the initial units are are going to be what we originally know knew as Bitcoin because it's hard to. I think it's probably impossible to improve perfect scarcity. Like it's, our, it's like the number zero that Robert Breedlove talks about. It's like, you can't really make another number zero. We have already created it. And so now that it exists, it's like the things around it can change and, and we can have different tools interacting with the number zero, but it's still the number zero and Bitcoin is, is still Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's very philosophical there. We probably just lost some people. But, but yeah, that, that makes, to me, that makes a lot of sense that um yeah yeah it's, yeah it's really profound and it's like you know like I, like i mentioned earlier it's like let's most most of the bugs in bitcoin were like all the way back in 2011 2012 and there were like maybe a thousand people that we were using or a few thousand people let's say um <laughs> so it's like it was tiny and like there hasn't been at least as far as i can tell there's been nothing significant i mean maybe the ordinals thing is but i don't know to me that doesn't seem nearly as significant as the early bugs but point point being that point being that even if there is a 10 percent chance that there's a exploitable hack in bitcoin and somebody figures it out with some future technology it's like okay we can't envision that yet so it's probably a ways away number one but the number two again what's the probability that a fractional reserve system dies before we figure out how to kill bitcoin it's like i think well over 90 percent you know i mean as we've seen with everything else as we started the conversation it's like the, the the probability of fractional reserve systems dying is very high and so even if there's an inventionable even if there's eventually an exploitable weakness to a full reserve system like it, it just makes so much more sense to own that because at least you're owning something that's probably not going to collapse in in the meantime between now and then because it was violating that so yeah yeah. exactly
1: if you're really thinking about like the future uncertainties around bitcoin it's like okay you can consider cryptography breaking as a future uncertainty but it's like if you're really thinking about future uncertainties around other financial assets that you hold there's a lot more future uncertainties and there's certainly different future uncertainties that you know that don't even really apply to bitcoin that apply to real estate equities u.s treasuries whatnot. Gold. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about, but I think this is probably a great spot to to wrap it up. Um, I know we've been already going for over an hour now. Do you oh, have any final thoughts, uh, that you want to leave the audience with?
0: Oh man, there were things I wanted to ask you too. Uh, that, that's all right. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I particularly have any, well, sure. Yeah. It just is getting off zero is just the big thing. It's like this whole point of you can buy of Satoshis for 300 bucks, 1% of a Bitcoin or emphasizing that your S&P 500 went down 1% because a single bank, one bank, that wasn't even in the top 10 went under because it's a fractional reserve system. Like, you won't even allocate 1% to Bitcoin, even though your S&P 500 just lost 1%, It's you know. All, all these things, you know, you and I, we're just trying to say the same thing, that Bitcoin is this new thing, and many of us, almost all of us, ignored it for a very long time, and we've all come full circle to realize oh, wait a second. This isn't some get rich quick thing where I'm going to make a bunch of money and kind of like a multi layer marketing or, or Ponzi scheme or whatever. It's like, no, the beauty of Bitcoin is that it has no yield. It, it isn't fractional reserve. There is no multi level marketing. It's just a full reserve system that is free and open to all. And it has dominated all competing full reserve systems out there in the world. And we don't know how to stop it. And we can't even conceive of a backdoor which a, human, a corrupted human being could exploit for their own benefit. Maybe there is, but we can't find it yet. And that's a really big deal. And the theoretical value of that, as Peter Dunworth and you and me would all bullishly say, it, the, the value of that to society and the number of lives that would save and the amount of corruption and distortion that that would reduce is almost incalculable. And because of that, because of the fact it's going to bring benefit to society, and because of the fact that everyone's going to prefer it, because it's just so much better than everything else, that's why stupidly high prices in terms of everything else are inevitable. And again, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, that if Bitcoin is correct, every exchange rate with the fiat currency is stupidly cheap. It's like saying... What's the exchange rate between gold and seashells or between gold and, and you know, some other ancient money? It's like, it's, if you, if there is a large market in the, if there's a large seashell, she, see out of a, <laughs> I'm tripping up there on seashells, but if there's a large market for the ancient money and the future money, well, then you know that the future money inherently is extremely cheap because the old thing still exists. It's like saying, you know, that, most people still use horse, still use horses, but the locomotive is still around. Well, you can therefore tell that it's very early in the days of the locomotive, and eventually the automobile, when most people are still using horses. And likewise, today, I strongly believe Bitcoin will be thirty thousand dollars, as it's like twenty eight thousand dollars right now, and then it'll be 40, 000, 50, 000, 80, 000, 000, million, 10 million, You know, it's like every exchange rate with the dollar theoretically should be passed as Bitcoin supplants the dollar, even a hundred million dollars, or like Peter would say, $7 billion or $70 billion. I mean, you know, it's, we, we have a very hard time conceptualizing uh, what's really going on here. And it's very exciting to be invited to things like this, talk to people like you, Joe, and um, talk about the future with people and appreciate the present moment in light of where we are in the human story. So thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. And on that idea of imperfect humans i mean i the invention of bitcoin was taking the future supply schedule out of the hands of humans right every other asset in the world it's more easier for humans to manipulate or change or increase the future supply of that asset the invention of bitcoin is is attempting in the best way possible to take that future supply out of the control of any single human or any even even any large group of humans. That's what's so unique and yeah. special about Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, no, Luke, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we'll eventually have to get you on for part three. This is awesome.
0: <laughs> well, hey, Joe, actually, before we go, how many yeah. banks do you think will go belly up between now and our, and our next podcast? We, we, we should have that bet. We should guess that. How, how many uh, fresh reserve systems are going to die between now and the next thing? Just, just to have fun with the fiat maxis.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's how such a good question. i I feel like it just depends, right? Like we saw with, with previous banks, they basically got, got a, you know, bailout or got acquired or, or whatnot. And and I feel like that's going to somewhat happen again if things get bad enough. So I, I definitely expect turbulence, right? Like, I don't know what the number of banks having extreme issues like First Republic will be, but I expect turbulence, but I also expect them to eventually step in in a big way to, to, to stop it. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I don't
0: know. <laughs> it's anyone's guess. I don't know. Maybe at least one. We'll see. I wasn't expecting any last time. So I don't know. Maybe there's none, but maybe there's 50. We'll see. So anyway, fair, fair. yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the world. So talk to you soon. Yeah.
1: Fair. fair. Totally. Well, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, You'll have to stay tuned for, for part three at some point.